Okay, we are in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Just finishing up Acts chapter 10. And we had, we had read last time uh, almost the whole chapter, but let me pick it up in Acts chapter 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. Then Peter answered, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we did. Can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay on for a few days. So we had looked at how unusual this was for a Jew, a group of Jews, actually Peter and six other brethren had gone into the home of Cornelius and how Cornelius to receive them and for the Jews to go in because it was unlawful, not according to the law of Moses, but according to the Mishnaic law, the laws of the rabbis, for a Jew to go into the home of a Gentile or for a Jew to have an association with a Gentile or for a Jew to eat with a Gentile. And so they've gone into the home, and Peter had started out his message saying, you know how unlawful it is, but God has spoken to me these things. And then he starts telling them about the resurrection of Christ, which we talked about last week. And then he said in verse 40, you can have forgiveness of sins. And then all of a sudden it says in verse 44, while Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on them. And then if you look in Acts chapter 11, when when uh, Peter was giving an account for what he was saying in Acts chapter 11, verse, six, six, verse 15, it says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Peter was just beginning his message, and the Holy Spirit falls on them. They didn't ask for the Holy Spirit. They didn't say, Oh Lord, baptize me in the Holy Spirit. They didn't pray for the Holy Spirit to fall. The Holy Spirit just hit them. There was belief that came into their hearts and the Holy Spirit hit them and they started speaking in tongues. Now, we've looked before, especially when we looked in in the first part of of Acts, when we first started looking into Acts chapter 1, that there are numerous occasions where the Holy Spirit fell on people in the book of Acts. Sometimes it was demonstrated with tongues. Sometimes it was not. Sometimes the word... Was a demonstration in tongues? Sometimes there was not. So it's very hard to build a theology around whether tongues come or don't come because we can't build a theology around a historical book. We look to to the epistles for that. And we're going to see other things where God seems to work in a duality of ways. And so it's hard to say this is the way God always works. The way God always works in this is He doesn't always work the same. That's all we can say about the way he works from the book of Acts. But while he was still speaking, the Holy Spirit falls upon the Gentiles. And then the Gentiles start speaking in tongues. And it's a good thing they did start speaking in tongues. Because since they started speaking in tongues, they they were able to, to say, in fact, they've been hit with the same thing that we were hit with on the first day of salvation. The same thing that we were hit with, they had been hit with. And it was a good thing, because they could see that Gentiles were visited with the same thing also. 
So you, you see in verse 17 of Acts chapter 11, when Peter's giving an account of it, he says, Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? So back in Acts chapter 10, look at what he says. He says, Surely no one can refuse the water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit. Can he? So in other words, we can't refuse. Can anyone here? He says, I've got six other brethren with me, six other Jews. Can any one of you refuse the waters of baptism for these people? This is not a normal way. You don't ask the question of the congregation, can anyone refuse? This is not, this is not something that you normally ask a question. So Peter then says... Does anybody have any objection to this? Look, they've been hit with the Holy Spirit. Here they are speaking in tongues. Remember, in, 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 uh, early on in the book of Acts, when, when the Holy Spirit falls on the apostles, they start speaking in tongues, and it says that everyone was hearing them speak in their own language. And it goes through this whole list of people from different countries and how they were hearing them speak in their own language. So these Gentiles must have been speaking in an intelligible language for these Jewish men to say, hey, they're speaking Hebrew. Hey, they're speaking Aramaic. They're speaking our language. They are speaking in tongues. They're speaking in a language that they themselves don't know. And so Peter asked the question, can anyone refuse? Peter's not sure what to do. Can anyone refuse this? And guess what their response is? Nothing. They don't want to commit to this. Nobody commits to this. And so Peter stuck with this thing. So finally, Peter in verse 48, and he ordered them to be baptized. He had to order the other men who were with them to baptize them. Me? Baptize a Gentile? I don't even want to touch a Gentile. This is the way they were. They didn't even want to touch them. And he says, go ahead, baptize them. He has to order them to be baptized. You see how unusual this whole thing is. This is a difficult thing. In your lifetime, God will cause you to do things that make you stretch beyond your normal self. You will be asked to do things. You will be asked to speak on certain occasions. You say, I'm not a public speaker. You will be asked to speak publicly. God will ask you to do things that you're not comfortable with. You say, well, I I don't do that type of thing. Yes, you do. This is what you've been called for for this occasion. Maybe not routinely, but in this occasion, this is what you're called for. All of us, God will place us into situations that are uncomfortable for us. So someday, you may be asked in Campus Crusade to stand up and give your testimony. Me? Give my testimony? I'm used to sitting there and listening to other people give their testimonies. I don't know how to give my testimony. It is perfect. This is exactly where you want to be. You want to be dropped into places that you're not good with, with what you're being asked to do, so you can totally depend upon God. One young man was once asked to share his testimony in Campus Crusade, and he wanted me to check it out. And he sent me about 15 pages, typewritten pages, single space, of exactly what he was going to read. I mean, this is how uptight the guy was. So he thought he'd just write the whole thing out and read it. And he sent it to me, and I read, you know, like maybe half a page. And I emailed him back. I said, enough. 
you're just going to stand up there and talk about what God's done in your life. No problem you writing it out and everything. You can jot a few notes, but just get up there and say it. Nobody wants to stand there and hear somebody read a lecture, right? I mean, that just puts people asleep. You've got to stand up there and just speak about it. But this was so difficult for him, but it was so perfect for him as well. Because this is exactly what he needed. Okay, let's look in Acts chapter 11, verse 1. Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles also heard the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue with him, saying, You went to the uncircumcised men and ate with them? But Peter began speaking and proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence, saying, I was in the city of, of Joppa praying, and in a trance, and I saw a vision, an object coming down like a great sheet, lowered by four corners from the sky, and it came right down to me. And when I had fixed my gaze on it and was observing it, I saw the four-footed animals on the, on the earth and wild beasts and crawling creatures and the birds of the air. I also heard the voice saying to me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. But I said, By no means, Lord, for nothing unholy or unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice from heaven answered a second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. This happened three times, and everything was drawn back in the, into the sky. And behold, at that moment, three men appeared at the house in which we were staying, having been sent from Caesarea. And the Holy Spirit told me to go with them without misgiving. Without misgivings. These six brethren also went with me, and we entered the man's house. And he reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa, and have Simon, who is called Peter, brought here. And he will speak words to you by which you will be saved, you and your household. But as I speak, but as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them just as he did upon us at the beginning. And I remember the words of the Lord, how he used to say, say John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? And when they heard this, they quieted down and they glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. Okay, so it says in, in chapter 11, verse 1, it was the apostles and the other brethren started to hear about how the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when they came to Jerusalem, Peter showed up back in Jerusalem. I'm telling you, they were probably sweating bullets at this point, Peter and these six others, because they could get in a lot of trouble. And sure enough, the elders in Jerusalem met them at the door. And they said, we have heard that you went to circumcised men and you ate with them. So you see, they didn't confront them with them speaking the message. They didn't confront them with them being baptized in the Holy Spirit because they know that man can't make the Holy Spirit fall, only God can. They confronted them with the law, the Mishnaic law, saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. That's what they confronted, because that's the only legal case they had. That legal case had nothing to do with scriptural law. It had to do with the laws of men, the thing that Jesus himself was always opposing. The only violation that they had done was to break the Mishnaic law, the things that Jesus said the laws of men had made the word of God no effect. So they bring back that law. That's the only thing they have on them. And then it says, Peter began to 
began speaking and presented, uh, proceeded to explain to them in orderly sequence. So he went through exactly what happened. And I thought about this. Here Peter did exactly what God called him to do. Exactly what God asked him to do, Peter did. This wasn't easy for Peter. Peter didn't want to have to go to the Gentile's house. He brought along these six others, and these six others were like, I wish I wasn't around when you were gathering up people to go with you. Because this was difficult for them, and they knew that they'd get in trouble. But they were serving God. And then after serving God, you would think that here they are serving God, they come back to their home church, and all the apostles are going to just hug them and say, thank you for obeying God. What an example you were to us. We're proud of you. No, they just get blasted. This happens when you're in leadership. And I had just been studying this passage, and, and, and another guy and I are directing this program at Rice, and there's, there's all this attack that comes. And when I'm attacked for something that I've worked very hard on, and I feel I've worked very hard, when there's attack on it and people are criticizing it, I have a tendency to take that personally. And in a way, what I do is, is I come home and I, I'll, I'll go and I'll, I'll sit in the corner and I'll pull my knees up to my chest and I'll put my thumb in my mouth and just start rocking back and forth. Figuratively, this is what I will do. And then Shireen comes and sits on the ground next to me and she says, how was school today? <laughs> and then she, goes to, she begins to go through it and try to encourage me. This is what I do in my own heart when I'm attacked. When I feel that I've poured out myself for others, and then my colleagues are attacking me on it. But this is what leadership is. If you want to be in leadership, you must be ready for criticism. If you want to step out and do something, you've got to be ready for criticism. So this colleague was in my office at the university, and we were bemoaning the fact that, look how hard we had tried with this program, and the faculty are crying about this, and we had an advisory board, and we said, you want us to change it? They said, yes, and we changed it, and now they're crying that we had changed it. And, and so, then finally I stopped them, and I said, you know, this is just like Peter when he had preached to the Gentiles. This guy looked at me with this strange look, and, and, uh, and, and so I started to explain to him what happened with Peter when he preached to the Gentiles. And he was just doing what God asked him to do. And here he is blasted. But how did Peter deal with it? And I said, this is how Peter dealt with it. And I said, let's use the scriptural example and see how to deal with it. And so what Peter did is he went through in orderly sequence the events that occurred. And what led him to that man's house. And what led him to say these things. This happens in leadership. This happens in service in the church. This happens in service in the secular world. If you want to move on with God, if you want to move on in your career, people are going to come against you. Now, Peter didn't just come in and get blasted with this and say, Whoa! First of all, I am Peter, the chief apostle. Everybody just... Keep your mouth shut. I did what I needed to do and that's it. He didn't do that. Nor did he say, I'm out of here. You people don't like what I, I, I do? You don't like it? Fine, I'm out of here. He didn't do that either. Did you know both of those responses that Peter didn't do 
are often my initial responses. Hey, look, I'm in charge here. I'm the director. You don't like it? Too bad. That's an initial response. Or another response is, fine, you don't like it? I'll step down. Then you'll be director, huh? You want to do that? That's my initial response. Do you ever get like this? Yeah, as you start getting into points of leadership, these are our initial responses, and Peter didn't do that. What Peter did is, though he was chief among the apostles, remember, he was the chief speaker on the day of Pentecost. He was the one that held the keys to open up to the Jews, to the Samaritans, and now to the Gentiles. He was the chief speaker. He submitted himself to them. He wasn't like, hey, I'm in charge here. You guys just keep quiet. Nor did he say, God spoke to me, issue's done. Period. You got a problem with that? Take it up with him. He didn't say that. He went through an orderly sequence, it says. Orderly, meaning he wasn't fanatical about this. You know, the other way we can get it is just this... Ah! No fluster. I can't even sleep anymore. I mean, he went through in orderly sequence the events that occurred and what led him to make the decisions that he made. Not only that, he was submitted to the body of Christ. Although he was the chief apostle, he was submitted to the body of Christ. He didn't just say, fine. I never did like this stinking Jerusalem church anyway. I'm going to go to another church. Which is often our feeling too. If something comes against us, we don't like it, we just go to another church. But you know what happens? The problem is so often in our own hearts when we want to just leave. And, and so he submits this to the council. And he doesn't just say, hey look, you know, the way you guys are coming at me, I'm not happy here. I'm just not happy and you know that the ultimate thing in life is that we be happy. And I'm not happy. I'm not happy in this marriage, by the way. And so I think I'll just leave this marriage because, you know, you can't ask me to live my life in an unhappy way. I'm not happy. Well, let me tell you something. You're going to have a lot of unhappy days in your marriage. Things come up. Things happen. Shireen's not here, so I can say this. And she doesn't listen to the messages on the internet, so I can say this. I love to be with her so much. I just, I just enjoy being with my wife. She's so much fun. I, I tell her, you know, you're so much fun to have. It just really is so much fun to be with. I just enjoy being with her. And, and uh, uh, I enjoy sitting with her at dinner and talking to her. I enjoy just, just pestering her with little things. And, you know, when she walks by, pull the thing on her apron so that it... You know, it unties. Just being a pest. I just love bothering her. Love being around her. And, just, and, and when she's not around, it's just not the same home. You know, when she goes away, it's just not the same. But there have been times in our marriage, and there continue to be days in our marriage, that I'm not totally excited about stuff that's going on. But we persist on through in marriage. And you know what happens? That as we walk in obedience to the Lord... And we walk in fellowship with one another. Happiness seems to be something that we just live in. 
It's not, it's not that I'm happy this, every moment about this thing, but it's something that we have. And so there's this tendency in man to just want to split, to just leave. And the Bible addresses this. It says a man who leaves his home is like a bird that wanders from its nest. You know, you, you think that there's going to be a better nest someplace. And you think, wow, if I, if I only had that other woman, I would be really happy. And you think, oh, that... No, this happens all the time to Christian men. There's all these thoughts. If I only had that other woman, then I would be happy. That is such a lie. You would be so unhappy. So unhappy. In fact, you'd be miserable. And women have that feeling too. If I only had that man, then I'd be happy. You know, Peter addresses this thing. He goes through this in orderly sequence. And you look at his response. And then he says, God did this thing. The other thing is he submits it to the church. He submits this. Though he's leader, he submits it to them. He says, okay, here's what I did. How could I, what could I have done? God did this thing. And, you know, Paul, as great as Paul was, if you, if, if you keep your finger in, there in Acts chapter 11, but, but turn to Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. Paul had been out preaching for something like 17 years. A long time, 14 years, 17 years, it was, it was in the teens. <clears throat> a long time, and he'd had a successful ministry. And then, and then at the, in, in Galatians, at the, end of, at the beginning of chapter 2, it says, then after an interval of 14 years. Now, he says after an interval of 14 years, if you look up, in, in chapter 1, verse 18, there was a three-year interval as well. So you've got 14 and 3, so it is 17 years. So after 17 years of Paul learning and preaching, he says, then after, in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1 of Galatians, then after an interval of 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas, taking Titus along also. It was because of a revelation that I went up, and I submitted to them the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles. But I did so in private to those who were of reputation for fear that I might be running or had run in vain. Wow! That speaks volumes. This man, this great apostle, for 17 years had been preaching. He comes and he submits his gospel that he had been preaching, that he had received from God himself. He had a revelation. Go to Jerusalem and submit your gospel, which you've been preaching to the apostles. And he submitted to, to them in private for fear that he had been running in vain, for fear that he had it wrong. He submitted it to them. He could well have said, look, I received this from the Lord. Forget these guys. Maybe they're preaching it wrong. No, God said submit it to the local body of Christ there in Jerusalem. Submit it there. We have an accountability one toward the other. You know, Peter says in verse 12 of Acts chapter 11, verse 12, The Spirit told me to go with them without misgivings. So he submits to them what the Spirit said to him. This is an important thing to do. If you think the Spirit is telling you something, you've got to be willing to submit this to others. Because sometimes we can mishear the Spirit. I hear all sorts of things in my mind sometimes. I really can't. You'll go to such and such a place and there'll be a parking space for you there. And you're going to, you know, all sorts of things. Or you're going to get such and such. And I really think it's God and it turns out not to be. 
You say, well, it really wasn't. No, it wasn't, because what I thought was said didn't happen at all. All of us can mishear things. And so he's submitting this. And in fact, there's this tendency sometimes to, to, uh, to think that, that we're hearing something when we're not and not wanting to submit it. There's an awful lot of loose cannons in the church that hear things and don't want to submit that to anybody. And it's easy to get drawn astray. And Paul warned that, warned Timothy about that. So, so in uh, 1 Timothy, Paul addresses this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. He says, But the Spirit explicitly says, 1 Timothy 4, 1, that in latter times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons, by means of hypocrisy of liars, seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And so, you, you know, it, it's easy for us to go astray and to mishear and get these strange doctrines. All of us can fall into this. And this is why he talks about being submitted to one another. But look at the way Peter is. In work, in your line of work, in my line of work, what I have to remember is to not fall into those patterns of when, when, when people confront me to take it so personally that I can't function. Or to just force my way and say, look, I'm the director. Or to say, hey, look, you don't like it? I'm out of here. You know, I knew a guy who was a professor at Stanford. And, and uh, he kind of had a falling out with some of his colleagues. So he moved to another university. And then after about five or six years, he had a falling out with some professors there. So he moved to yet another university. And every step has been to a lesser university as far as quality. But this guy would get in a huff. And rather than to learn to deal with others, he would just totally blow his career. This happens to people. This can happen to you. It really can. You say, oh, it wouldn't happen to me. Don't be so sure. In fact, a lot of times, the things that we say most excitedly, that would never happen to me, are the very things that come upon us because the scriptures say, pride goes before fall. And so we all have to be careful of that. And we have to remember that Peter submitted this to the local body of Christ. And he submitted it. So even at work, I can say, okay, guys, what would you like to do? What would you have done if you had been in my shoes? Here's where we were. Here's what we went through. And then look over in in, uh, Acts chapter 11, verse 17. Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in his way? So you see what comes first is belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says of Cornelius in Acts chapter 10, verse 1 and verse 2, Acts chapter 10, verse 2, he was a devout man. He was one who feared God with all his household. He gave many alms to the Jewish people and he prayed to God continually. This guy was a really good guy. Devout, feared God, he and his household. So he was a good father. He taught the whole family about God. He gave many alms, so giving wasn't a problem for him. And he prayed to God continually. He was a man of prayer. But he wasn't saved. He was not saved because it says in verse 14 of Acts chapter 11 that the angel had said to him that Peter's going to come and speak words to you by which you will, by, by which you will be saved, you and your household. 
So with all this, he wasn't saved. So remember, just because there's good men who may believe in God, who may do good things, doesn't mean they're saved. Salvation is something very different. And then after believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, they were saved. It says in verse 17 of Acts chapter 11. So after he reports this, look at the response now of the Jews there in Jerusalem who have heard about this. Acts chapter 11, verse 18. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. I mean, this is really a muted praise. Well then... I guess God has granted to them eternal life. I mean, it's it's just, they're really not excited about this. I mean, they, they could not contest that God had moved, that God had done something. But there was no real excitement. You say, well, why were they like that? I mean, these are really bad people. Why were they like that? Remember, it was a different generation. It was a different time different people. And these were Christians. Remember, these were Christians. These were apostles. These were really good Christians who were about to die for their, for their testimony in the Lord. In fact, the persecution had already come with Stephen. They, they had already, many of them had, had been dispersed once already. And even as good Christians as they were, they had this problem with Gentiles receiving the Lord. They had this problem. The same sort of thing happened with Jonah the prophet in the Old Testament. God told him to go to Nineveh and to preach. And he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And so he went in the other direction. Remember, he got swallowed by by this whale and he got spit up on the shores of Nineveh. And then he goes reluctantly, preaches the message. And then the people get saved. And he was even a reluctant prophet. And he goes and he sits and he starts having this pity party and he goes and he sits under this plant and it covers him. And you know what he's doing? He's complaining. And you know what he does? He complains. He says, Lord, I told you this would happen. That if I preached, they would get saved. Now look, all these Ninevites have turned and they've repented. Isn't that terrible? He was upset that they had received repentance. That had repented and turned to God. He was upset about that because the Ninevites were his enemies. He's really a bad guy, right? He's a prophet. These people were Jews and they weren't excited about the Gentiles. Did you know that Christians are not always great people? I know that from my own life. The thing that gives me comfort is it says in 1 Corinthians, God has chosen the base things of the world and the despised. God has chosen the things that are not, that He might nullify the things that are. I was at a a, a big black tie gala event that we got invited to in in Galveston last night. And I was sitting next to this lady and we got to talking and she said, Oh, I'm an atheist. And I'm really happy about the fact that I'm an atheist because I'm a good person and I try my very best to be a very good person. And I'm thinking, wow, I'm a terrible person. I really need God. I really need Him. I'd be a mess without Him. And this is what I am. I just know what I am. I know the way that if I just forget to read my Bible one morning, I would be the monster. 
You know, there are times when Shireen will say, would you just go read the scriptures for a while? Because she knows I, I need to be tamed. These are believers. These are people who are ready to die for their faith, and they're just about to start dying for their faith, and they're like, well then, I guess the Gentiles got saved too. <laughs> Hoping it never extends far beyond that. This is a really wimpy praise. I mean, they're not saying, Hallelujah, Lord, as they did in other portions. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing. Thank you, Lord, that we've been able to suffer in your name. Thank you for what you're doing in praising God. This is really wimpy. And you know, sometimes God brings us into situations that we're not totally happy about. And He exposes to us our own heart. You know, think of the person that you like least in life. Think of the person you like least. There's somebody who's really hurt you. God wants that person to be saved. God wants to bless that person. And it's that person that God calls you to pray for. Jesus said, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And then he goes on to say, because, and then you will be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and he sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you greet those who greet you, what do you do more than others? Don't Gentiles do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what do you do more than others? Don't tax gatherers do the same. You're to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. You think of the person that you least like. You think of the person that has hurt you or your family more than anyone else. And God says, oh, that's the one I want you to pray for. No, God, I, I want to pray for my friends at school. That's who I want to pray for. No, God says, I want you to pray for that person. He says, you are to bless those who persecute you. Pray for those who mistreat you. And this is what God called them to do. And you know what's going to happen? Is they may be really, really blessed. Let me tell you the story about the guy who I've talked about before, who bothered me more than anybody else, was a colleague of mine. And God caused me to pray for his career and to pray for a blessing on his career. And he got so blessed. His career just started rocketing. It was, it was really in question whether the guy would ever even get tenure. His career was going so bad. He and I had started as assistant professors around the same time. And, and uh, he had said some things about me and said some things to me that were really hurtful. And God caused me to begin to pray for him. So every day at noontime, I would go to the chapel on campus, fall on my knees, and pray for this guy's program, that it would be blessed. And I prayed for his program, prayed for his program, and then he started getting all these blessings, all these grants, and it went so well for him that he got an offer from another university and he left. And I was very happy that he left. But God had already dealt with my heart because my heart changed toward him when I prayed for him. And that's what God is always wanting us to do. We've got an issue with somebody. God wants to change our hearts. We are the believer. 
God expects more from us than He does from others. You say, why? Because He says, to whom much is given, much is expected, the Scriptures say. He says, if you greet only those who greet you, what reward do you have, the Scriptures say. So in other words, we have a great reward when we greet those who don't greet us. You ever say hi to somebody and they don't acknowledge back? You're like, well, I'm not going to say hi to them again. I'll get them. Well, you just lost a reward. The Bible says there's a reward for greeting those who don't greet you. So, in other words, it'd be better if people didn't greet me back. Because then I'd get more rewards. If I get greeted back, there's no reward. That's the implication there. There's a reward for doing something beyond what others would normally do. This is what God calls us to. And you see this in the life of Peter. Peter was called to do something. He did it. He got confronted for it. But look at the way that he responded. And then look at your own heart. Look at, we have to look at our own hearts and say, am I excited about what God is doing? Look how passive they were when their enemies came to faith. But this is the way Christians are. And this is why you're all here. Because God has chosen the weak things of the world, the base things of the world to confound the wise. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word, for your mercies, and for your grace. And Lord, thank you for the life of Peter and what was demonstrated there. And I pray, Lord, your blessing to be upon these young people. And show me also what it means to be a leader. Show them what it means to be a leader. Father, that I would not have these pity parties, but I would do as Peter did and explain things in an orderly manner and then submit it to others. Father, I pray for your grace to abound. And Lord, change my heart that I would love my enemies and bless them and pray for them. Father, change my heart. And Lord, I pray for these young people that because of this message and this word, when they are put in places of leadership, that they will remember back to this incident and to understand that this is what leadership is. It is being confronted. It is being blamed for things that they're not responsible for. Father, I pray that you teach them your ways and make them better people. And I commit this to you in the name of Jesus. Amen.